0: I'm Caleb on the lead pastor here. Uh, I look forward to meeting you if I haven't yet. And uh, it continues to surprise me. We got some creative people in this community, and uh, we appreciate them giving their time to help us celebrate our transition into the Regency Movie Theater that's going to be coming up. We'll give you more information on that uh, next week. Uh, If you're brand new, you're kind of like coming halfway into the movie we've been talking about the past couple of weeks. Uh, our f- short film last week was also awesome. The actor from that one, I Life, is here this morning. Happy to have him. Uh, we just appreciate the creative people in our church and them wanting to lend a hand and help us celebrate this transition. So uh, that is fun stuff. You might remember if you were here last Sunday that we gave you this 30 days of prayer card. How many of you got this and have been joining us and praying for stuff? Uh, great. Thank you. Uh, I have a reminder built into my cell phone. It pops up at 3.05 because Joshua 3.5 was the verse that we read. And so I am praying at 3.05. I invite you to, to join me and many of us in that if you would. You'll also notice that there's prompts and reminders on our facebook and instagram so uh, it's just a great habit to remind ourselves every day that there's a god who's bigger than whatever circumstances we find ourselves in in the moment and that we can gather together or align with each other and pray for something bigger than ourselves so thank you for doing that you'll also notice in your uh, bulletin that we gave you there's this card this is like a ticket it looks like a ticket it just does trust me it looks like a ticket And on the back of it, we want to encourage you to write something that you're praying for, hoping about, dreaming toward for the future of our church together. So if you're brand new, you don't have to play along. But those of you who call this your church, if you would write down either people's names that you're praying for that you hope will come to our church uh, or things that you're excited about that our church will be able to do The unique spot, the second busiest intersection in Orange County that that theater sits on, new ideas, whatever, whatever it is that you're excited about, praying for, hoping for, write it down there. You'll be able to drop it off on a clear box outside the door as you are leaving, and we would appreciate that. Last week, I talked about the dark side, how there's a dark side in this world and in us, and we don't like it, but it's there. And we have a tendency to do the things that we don't want to do. And the things that we do want to do, we struggle to do those. And it's just the, the situation that we find ourselves in. If you missed last week's message, you can get the podcast. But uh, that's, I just want to bring you up to speed with that idea. Because this dark side is real. And what religion teaches you to do is to, uh, is to just kind of chain your hands and feet and just be better. Because religion says you should, but you struggle to, so you're in trouble. You should or you shouldn't, but you struggle, you're in trouble. And so to try to not get into trouble, we chain our hands and feet, and we try not to go too far outside the lines. We try to make ourselves better, do better, be stronger, don't do bad stuff. And we judge and get critical of the other people that are doing the bad stuff, and at the same time, we're not living very exciting lives We're settling for some lesser experience of life, and and we're making other people mad because we're criticizing and judging them, and that's what happens to religious people. On the other side of the spectrum, you have rebellious people that just do swan dives into whatever they want to do, and they say, there's darkness in me. I want to live authentically, so I'm just going to do whatever I want and try to minimize the consequences. You know, maybe I won't do the stuff that'll get me arrested, but I'll do whatever else kind of up until that point. And most of us grew up thinking that those are the two options. You either live this rebellious life doing whatever you want to do, or you have to live a religious life chaining your hands and feet so that you don't do bad stuff. And that's not very fun. And and the good news is that there's more than just those two options. And we've been looking at the book of Romans, and in Romans chapter 8, Paul, the famous apostle Paul who wrote a lot of the New Testament, begins to shed some light on what it looks like, the third alternative, the third way. Not the rebellious way I do what I want, not the religious way where I have to chain my hands and fake it and try to make myself better, but there's another way, and there's another power. There's a power that the God of the universe allows us to be changed from the inside out. This week we'll be looking at Romans 8, the first few verses, but uh, before we do, I want to bring your attention to a reality that I noticed that you'll probably understand as well. Have you noticed that two people can have a very different experience with the same event? You know what I mean? So something happens, and it's the same thing that happened to both people, but one person will treat it as a personal attack, and the other person will see it as that person's issue. One person will think it's just chaos and the the sky is falling, and the other person will see it as an opportunity. Have you noticed this? People can go through the same event, circumstances in life, but handle it, treat it, view it very differently based on what they believe and the meaning they associate with the event or with the circumstance. There's a famous author named Viktor Frankl. He survived Auschwitz concentration camp. The Nazis. I mean, you can't even imagine the kind of pain, the torturous circumstances. This man survived. And he witnessed many who didn't survive. But he also recognized that some, like himself, survived and then afterwards were able to thrive. And he wrote down in a famous, one of the most famous books called Man's Search for Meaning... He wrote down kind of the psychological viewpoint that he had on how that played out and how some people in the same exact circumstances crumbled, were hopeless, gave up, and others persevered, endured, survived, and and were then, after the fact, living meaningful lives. He says that the difference was their mindset, what they chose to think about, but the ones who persevered, they chose to have hope in a better future, a better tomorrow that might actually come, where the others were chose to be victims and hopeless and resentful. He concluded that not every thought is worth thinking, and not every feeling is worth holding on to. Now, every feeling we should feel, because I don't want you to go to the other extreme and not feel your feelings, right? There's a lot of us who grew up medicating or numbing ourselves so that we didn't feel. Feel the feeling, but you don't have to stay there. You can change the way you think about it and move on. Now, I want to draw a little distinction between uh, what we're going to be talking about this morning and the power of positive thinking, because some people will think, well, that's just the power of positive thinking. That's, that's soft. That's whatever. Um, no, it's not. The power of positive thinking is actually biblical, And there's more than that. There's a power. Positive thinking works. It it works. If you don't believe it works, then you're probably bummed out a lot of your life. But it works. But there's a power that's even stronger than that. There's a power that God gives you that can actually change your mind. And I'm going to talk about how you can tap into that power. Because here's the thing. There's things that are true in this world. Things that are true and helpful, those things are just from God. Whether it's psychology, biology, whatever it is, it's God's if it's true. So we're not afraid of those kinds of things. We embrace them. And so here's the, the main point I want to give you straight from the onset. It's in your outline. You can write it down. It's simply this. You're the thinker. You're the thinker. You're the one. No one else is thinking your thoughts. No one else has control over your mind. No one else lives between your ears. You might think that other people live inside your brain at times, but they don't. It's just you and territory and things that you've given up over time, but it's just you in there. You take responsibility for what you think. You choose the thoughts that you entertain. You choose and you change. The Apostle Paul, who wrote most of the New Testament, he, he writes these words in his letter to the Romans. He's actually an incredibly brilliant man. And I have noticed that it seems like people that are the most brilliant, the, the have the strongest intellect, often have tortured minds. And so I think that Paul understands what he's talking about when he teaches us about what it means to control our minds, as we'll see. And so in verse 1, he starts off with a fundamental belief. Before he gets into the mindset, he starts with the belief. And he says this, So now, there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. This is like, this is the baseline. This is what I want you to know. Before we start talking about mindset, I want you to know there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. How many of you know what it is to feel condemnation? Like, we we get that. We know that. We're in a political season right now, and, and some of you are at least some of your friends, uh, condemn some of the political figures, right? Not you, it's probably just someone else, but, but you, you have like a tendency to want to condemn this political figure who you've never even met uh, because whatever uh, ideology you just kind of resist. Because you know what it is to feel condemned and at some level we have this insecurity and brokenness and we're all fearing that we're condemned and so we condemn others. It's just kind of this cycle that happens. I know what it is to feel condemned. About nine or ten years ago, I had a quarter-life crisis. It was kind of the 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 linchpin of that was divorce, and there were a handful of people in my life that condemned me. And It was like, oh, you're divorced now. We're not your friends anymore, and I had to live with that, and so because a few people felt that way, I, in my mind, thought that more people felt that way, so I would walk into social situations so nervous because I thought that everybody condemned me. It was just these handful of people, but in my mind, I'm trying to live in their minds, assuming things about how they're thinking about me. No one? Right? You, you live in other people's minds trying to, well, they're probably thinking this. Well, they acted kind of weird. Well, that handshake was kind of soft. He probably doesn't respect me. And, right? and you just kind of play out and extrapolate all these different kinds of things. That aren't even real. And I talked to some of my friends, and it turns out they're like, I said, You probably think that this happened, but you, I'm sure you didn't hear the whole story, and you just heard this version, and that was so exaggerated. And, that. and they're like, We don't care. I was like, What? No, we don't cond- condemn you. We're just like you, we're all the same. They're like, Oh, thank God. Oh, yeah. you know? It's such a relief when you feel, Oh, I'm, I'm not condemned after all. That's what Paul's saying here. There's no condemnation for those of you who are in Christ. The moment that you put your belief in this Jesus who came to this earth to, to save humanity that's, and settle the fundamental issue of you being okay, that, that deep insecurity and brokenness that you feel, that, that question, that, th- that haunting thing at night that makes you want to turn on the music and fall asleep to the TV because you don't want to be alone with your thoughts, he came to solve that fundamental brokenness that says you are separated from God. You are not who he meant you to be. But Jesus came, and now everything is forgiven. You're good now. There is no condemnation if you simply believe. And Paul said, we're going to deal with the mindset in a minute, but first you just have to understand this basic, simple belief. Otherwise, your mind is just going to be tortured, and we're not going to get anywhere. In his famous book, Paradise Lost, John Milton says, the mind is its own place. And in itself can make a heaven of hell and a hell of heaven. Some of you know exactly what that is. That you, in your mind, you can take a brutal situation like Auschwitz and survive it. At the same time, you can take a wonderful situation and make it feel like hell. And you've been around those people where you're like, what are you even... Why are you so negative? Look where you live. You're surrounded by good people. We're at Disneyland for crying out loud. You know? And you're choosing to be so miserable because your mind can make you miserable, even when you're surrounded by good circumstances. And Paul starts us off by reminding us you are not condemned if you believe it's done. You're good with God. He's good with you. Start there. That's where your security comes from. That's where your foundation comes from. That's what we will build on. But you have to believe. And we have kind of a weird understanding of belief because uh, you might think that you believe that this stool will support my weight. But I, I, I would say that, but I actually don't believe that in a biblical sense until I sit down because uh, I can think that it'll support, I can assume, I can hypothesize that it will support my weight, but I don't truly put my trust and faith and belief in it until I sit down, until I put my full weight on the stool. Now I'm a believer in this stool, that it will support me. And there are some of you who think that you're forgiven, You assume that maybe this Jesus thing and scripture is relevant to you too, but you don't really believe it because you haven't put your full weight into it. You haven't just jumped in and committed. You haven't just said, yes, I believe I'm gonna be about this. Until you do that, you haven't fully experienced what it is to believe, and belief is the beginning to having your mind changed. Paul goes on in verse 2. And because you belong to him, Jesus, the power of the life-giving spirit has freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. Now the life-giving spirit, what, that, what he's talking about there, it's the same thing as Holy Spirit, Holy Ghost, Spirit of God, whatever. It's all the same thing. So he's saying there's a, there's a life-giving spirit that is in you that will free you from sin and death. Verse three, the law of Moses was an, unable to save us because of the weakness of our sinful nature or dark side. So God did what the law could not do. He sent his own son in a body like our bodies. And in that body, God declared an end to sin's control over us by giving us his son as a sacrifice for our sins. So because there's, these, there's, there's a law and there's these rules, right? There's rules But they don't fix us. They only point out that we're broken. They just expose the fact that we screw up a lot. So that's what the law of Moses is. It simply means that there were these 10 commandments and then a whole bunch of other commandments added on top of that to try to help us keep the 10 commandments. And they didn't really help us. They just exposed the fact that we can't do it. And so Jesus comes. He says, I know that you can't do it. I'm going to live a perfect life and die for the fact that you can't do it and then everyone's forgiven. You simply believe, I'll give you this life-changing power, this life-giving power, my own spirit, who will help you actually live differently because you can't do it on your own. We start with that simple belief. And then he moves to the mind. Verse 5, those who are dominated by the sinful nature or the dark side think about sinful things. That makes sense. But those who are controlled by the Holy Spirit think about things that please the Spirit. So letting your sinful nature control your mind leads to death. But letting the spirit control your mind leads to life and peace. If you try to just control, it's not going to work out. You know that already. If you chain your hands and feet and try not to get too far outside the lines and do the really bad stuff, that doesn't lead to life. That leads to another form of death. You're living a lesser experience of life. And you become judgmental and critical of all the people that are doing, you know, the rebellious things that you secretly wish you could be doing. That doesn't lead to life. He's saying there's another way. By letting the Spirit control your mind, you will find life and peace. Instead of taking control, you give Him control, which is mysterious. But here's a little bit more about that. Galatians 5 says... The Holy Spirit produces. When he's in control, he produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Those are all good things. There's not a person in here that would be like, ah, I don't want those. I'd rather have some other stuff. No, those are all good things. Everyone wants those things. Those are good things associated with our life. And then here's the, he produces them. The Spirit produces them. You don't produce them you can't flex your muscles and produce that kind of fruit he does it so you might think well what is it how do I even distinguish between like the spirit like what is that is he talking to me is he taking over my mind what, what what's happening here I don't I don't know if I can determine when it's him or when it's just my brain, or I, I, I ate like three-day-old pizza last night and that weirded me out and I had some funky dreams. Is that him? or is that, well, How do I distinguish between all these kinds of things? It's, here's a simple place to start. Consider the thoughts that you're thinking. Do they point to love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control? Do they align with those ideas? If they do, they're him. If they don't, they're you, or something else. That's, that's the place to start. Because I know there's like di- questions about, is that God? Is that a thing? Is that, how does God work? And the spirit in me, that's so mysterious. Is your thought pointing you toward love, joy, peace, patience? Or something less? Begin to recognize God's work in you by evaluating those thoughts. Are they pointing you in that direction or another direction? You can learn to distinguish God's voice. You can learn to acknowledge, to listen to his spirit within you. Next verse. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. That's from 2 Corinthians. Take captive every thought that you can pause in a moment and take a thought and determine, is this pointing me in the right direction? Is this helping me get there? Is this thought associated with love, joy, peace, or something else that I can, I can stop and I can think about my thinking and I can determine, is this lining up with Jesus, who God is, what he says about me, the kind of full and meaningful life that I know he wants for me, or is this something else because of something else, then I'm gonna disregard it and do something differently um, people try to figure out language to talk about this mysterious dynamic i get that it's mysterious uh, so you've maybe heard people talk about their consciences right, right. I, I you know i just did my conscience i knew that that wasn't right okay it, just in my conscience, I knew that I shouldn't go in that direction, I should go in this direction. There was this, just this feeling I had inside of me that I probably shouldn't. Other people use the language, a uh, check in my spirit. I had this check in my spirit. There was like this pause, and I knew I, I shouldn't go in the room, or I shouldn't say that thing. Uh, m- there was a prompting, there was, there was a warning, it was like a, like a warning light going off inside of me. I've had this experience where I'm talking, and I realize mid-sentence, I shouldn't be saying this. Anyone else? No? Uh, I'm I'm talking and I'm like, this is not life-giving. This is not helping the situation. This is not uplifting to this person. Sometimes I just go on through with my sentence and be like, that just happened, and I leave. (laughs) Other times, I'll stop mid-sentence, and I'll feel that, that prompting, that thing, that mysterious thing, that light that's just flashing, like, abort, abort, this isn't good, stop what you're doing here, this is not helpful, this is not producing love, joy, peace, patience, anything like that, and sometimes I'll just stop, and I'll say, sorry, I'm just, whatever I'm saying, it isn't working, and I'm just done, and it's awkward, and they don't get it, but it's better than just indulging in whatever thing that's taking me off track, right? So however you talk about it, it's mysterious, it's weird, especially if you didn't grow up going to church and you're just here for the first time and we're talking about spirit and things like that. We get that there's a mystery to it, but we try to put some language around it because we know it's real. There's something that's happening. There's There's a spirit of the living God of the universe that's working its way out. And if you want to begin on that journey of kind of recognizing him and letting him have operate inside of you is here's a simple prayer that you can pray. God, you lead. You show. You teach me to think. You lead. In other words, I surrender. I'm not going to try to control everything and make myself better. You lead. You show. You prompt. You whisper. You, You flash that light when I'm getting off track. And then you teach me to think. You change my mind. Don't let your beliefs lead you toward unhealthy thinking and unhelpful mindsets. Because you are the thinker. You're responsible for what happens in your head. You're responsible for what's going on in there. Only you can think your thoughts. Only you can shift, can take a thought captive Contest it and say, is this helpful to me? Is this lining up with what I know of God and what I know of what he wants for me? Romans 12.2 says, don't copy the behavior and the customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. It's not gonna change you overnight. It's gonna take some time. Moment by moment, thought by thought, Decision by decision, you trust him, he will begin the process of changing you. But you have to be willing to pause and to recognize the ways that this verse says that I'm conforming to whatever is normal in culture. I'm just, I'm picking, in these ways, I'm picking up my feet and I'm just going with the flow of culture. And I'm finding that these things have become normal and they shouldn't be normal for me. As I was praying about this this week, I felt like there were four kind of topics that we should address briefly, that have become normal for some of us. Just normal ways that our minds operate, normal ways that we think. It's just, we've just begun in these ways to settle for a lesser experience of life. We don't even notice it anymore, it's just the new normal, and it doesn't have to be this way. The first one is negative thinking, that leads to prolonged sorrow, that can ultimately lead to depression. And I know that this is so sensitive, Because there are people in here or there are friends and family members of ours that have severe, severe depression. And I fully believe that there's a place for clinical help and for medicine. Remember, if it's true and it's helpful, we just, God can have all of that if it's true and helpful. And he can use doctors and medicine. But I'm talking about the journey there. The negative thinking, the prolonged sorrow, that in a lot of ways, many of us are choosing and we're settling for this lesser experience of life. And it's so difficult for any of our friends to get us even to smile. And we're just associating everything with negativity. Oh, and there's a negative thing that we can say about that, and there's a lesser experience that we can make about that, and this is, well, it's not really that, it's probably just this. And we downplay and we deflect, and we don't go out and we don't make things fun, and we're, it's just become our normal. And we're settling for a lesser experience I have a friend who was telling me recently that she she was such a negative person and that she felt sorry for herself and she was no fun to be around. She had had bad things happen to her, but she let that lead her into just a lifestyle of negativity until she was traveling internationally and she was taken to a place where these other girls had been pulled out of just this terrible environment. And these girls had had worse things happen to them over a longer period of time. And yet she looked and she saw a light in their eyes, hope in their eyes, and optimism, love, joy, peace, patience. And she knew what they had gone through. And she said, if they can have that, maybe I can have that. And she came home and she started living differently. And she began to surrender to God's spirit in her taking some of those negative thoughts captive and saying, I don't have to go down that path the same way that I did before. Another one that I know is severe is anxiety. It begins with worry, and it can lead to this place where we need clinical help and we need medication. But there's a journey there where we're choosing to believe thoughts, And we're choosing to believe worst-case scenarios. And we're choosing to live in other people's brains and assume that they're thinking things and meaning things that they're not even meaning, that they're not even thinking. And we torture ourselves with anxiousness. If you're plagued by anxiety and depression today, I'm praying for new liberation and freedom for people in our church and our community. We're going to pray at the end, and I believe, there's a spectrum here, and wherever you find yourself on those spectrums, that God would intervene, that his spirit would work. The next thing is anger. There's people in here that, you, you don't think you're an angry person, but you're angry right now. You're angry about something, maybe you're angry at me, maybe you're angry about something that happened at the Halloween party, maybe you're angry about something that happened this morning on your way here, and whatever it is, many of, some of us, some of us, we call it frustration, but it's really anger, and we kind of have this low grade level that's with us all the time, and it's been building, and something just can set us off, it's so light and seemingly innocuous, but we, we just get all bent out of shape. And we're frustrated with how things have played out, and we're frustrated with circumstances, and we're frustrated about the way things are. You're having conversations in your head with people, and you're telling them off. <laughs> they don't even know that you're mad. They don't even know what happened. You don't have to live angry. You don't have to live with this level of frustration constantly just brewing underneath the surface. You can choose different thoughts that lead you in a different direction. The last thing is selfishness. This is relevant to all of us. Selfishness plays out in a couple of different ways, either through arrogance because you think you're great and you want everybody to know it, or or through insecurity because you don't think you're great and you need help feeling better about yourself and there's self-pity involved. Either way, it's toxic and just makes life all about you. And you're missing out on the fullness of relationship and connection with others, and a life that's satisfying because you're giving your life away for the benefit of other people. You can take those thoughts captive. You can align them with what's true and what's right and what's good. You can align them, and you can move in a different direction. One of my favorite authors is a guy named Henry Nouwen, and, and he, he writes some great books, and one of them, he tells a story about he had been this famous professor this elite academic. He had worked at Yale and Harvard, among other places, and he was sought after to speak at conferences and events and things. But he had a low-grade depression. He wrestled with anxiety, and he needed to pull himself out of his circumstances and start somewhere new. So he left this end of the spectrum of the highest level of academia, and he went to live with the mentally handicapped, and he just put himself in that environment and lived there among those men and women. One of the rules of this community was that you don't go anywhere by yourself. And so uh, Henry, he was still frequently requested to come and speak different places. And so when he would have to go and speak somewhere, he would take someone with him because he wanted to follow the code of the community. On this one occasion, he was asked to speak to a, like, several hundred or a thousand uh, priests in Washington, D.C., and so he chose to take Bill with him. Bill was one of the mentally handicapped gentlemen at this community, and Bill was pumped. He had never been on a trip like this. He was so excited. He sat in the airplane next to Henry, and he's so energetic. He's eating the peanuts. He's drinking anything that they'll bring to him. And, and he says to Henry, we're doing this together, aren't we, Henry. And he says, Yeah, Bill, sure. We're doing this together. Yeah, whatever. That's cool. And so they fly in, and he's like, Oh, this is nice for Bill. This is obviously meaningful and fun. They arrive at the hotel, and it's this beautiful hotel, and Bill is so ecstatic. He's, he's got his own room, and, and there's a TV, and he gets to hold the remote control. He didn't get that at home. He gets to choose what he's going to watch. And so he's so excited. They go down for dinner. They're in the ballroom, they're eating. And he's so pumped to be in this place. And then the MC says, uh, we're going to please welcome Henry now to the stage. And everyone claps, a little golf clap. And Henry gets up, and he walks up to give his speech. He goes to the podium. He puts his papers in place, and he looks down at where he was sitting, and Bill's not there. <laughs> and he thinks, oh, no, where is Bill? What is he doing? He looks around, and then he sees a shadow behind him, Bill standing right behind him. And he has this thought cross his mind. Oh, he really thought we were doing this together. <laughs> <clears throat> and he's just like, okay, I guess this is happening. And so he just starts into his speech. And he manuscripts his speech, so he's kind of reading it and talking. He takes the first page when he's done, and as soon as he grabs it, Bill takes it out of his hand, flips it face down on the table next to him. And he goes, okay. He, I guess he 's going to help me in this way, and so he finished the next page. he took it, Bill right there, takes it, places it down, just stands like at attention ready, waiting for the next opportunity to take the page. A couple of times over the course of his uh, his message, Henry refers to a joke or some story that Bill had heard before, and Bill, without a microphone, says ha i've heard that one before." <laughs> and the whole place just laughs and The mood in the place is lightened, and people start to like Bill. Henry just keeps on going with a little smirk on his face. He finishes his talk, and he starts to walk off, and people give him a little round of applause. And then Bill pulls on his jacket, and he says, I have something to say. Henry's like, oh, crap. (laughs) Uh, Okay, go ahead. And so Bill steps up to the microphone and does the thing. And he says, when Henry goes to speak, he takes someone with him. When he went to Boston, uh, he took Steve Wright, or whatever the other guy's name is. When he came to Washington, D.C., he invited me to come. I've really enjoyed being here. Thank you. And he walked down. And Henry and Bill walked off the stage to a standing ovation. And when Bill got down to the bottom, everyone was shaking his hand. I'm so glad that you're here, Bill. He never felt like that before. He walked around. Henry lost him for an hour because he was walking around <laughs> talking to different people. The next morning, same thing happened at breakfast. He was the most popular guy in the room. Everyone wanted to talk to Bill. They get on the airplane. They're flying home. He sits down next to Henry. and he says, Henry, did you have fun in Washington, D.C.? Henry says, you know, I really did, Bill. I was, I, was, I was glad. I was glad to be able to do this. Thanks for coming. And Bill looks at him with a twinkle in his eye and says, we did it together, didn't we, Henry. And it clicked for Henry in that moment. He's like, sure enough, we did it together. We really did it together. And it shifted. It was a huge paradigm shift for Henry. That he needed Bill more than Bill needed him. On two opposite ends of the intellectual spectrum. But Bill was teaching Henry about life a man who had done it all in terms of the academic world. But seeing through the eyes of Bill, the life is so simple. It's not easy, but it's really quite simple. And Henry had a mind shift that day. He went on to write some of the greatest books that we have in terms of how to walk with God in this life. Last verse I want to read to you. Philippians 4.8 says, Finally, brothers and sisters... Whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything, is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. This is where the philosophy of the power of positive thinking comes from from the Bible, if there's anything good, if there's anything lovely, if there's anything noble or right or pure, think about those things. You have alternatives. There's going to be all kinds of things that happen in your life, all kinds of circumstances, all kinds of negative things, highs, lows, good things. You choose what you think about because you're the thinker. You decide what you focus on. You decide. Facebook is always going to be there, but you choose what's in your news feed. You choose what you allow to play on the screen of your mind. You choose what you think, what meaning you associate with that, who you're going to associate with, what you're going to take on, what you're going to believe about this. You choose. You think. It's up to you. We have a part to play in this with God. He transforms us as we guard our thoughts. That's the last fill-in there. I guard thoughts. God grows life. That's what he does. That's what he does. We guard our thoughts. He transforms us from the inside out. You can't produce the fruit, but you can surrender to him and learn what it means to listen and be guided by his spirit and good things will be produced. Will you stand with me? God, we thank you for your sacrifice, that there is no condemnation because of what Jesus has done, that that's the baseline where we start from, that we are loved and we are accepted and we are whole because of you some of us here that need to believe that truth for the first time, I pray that you would speak to them. I pray that you would give them confidence in you. I pray that the light would go on. There's others of us here, God, that are wrestling with sorrow, with negative thinking, even all the way to deep depression and anxiety. God, I pray that by the power of your spirit, you would loose those chains and burdens, that you would heal and restore, that you would lighten that you would give a sense of hope, freedom, that you would whisper that there is a better way, that there is a better tomorrow, that there is hope, that you are working with us and in us to lead us in a way of life to the full. Would you bring hope and healing as we acknowledge, listen to, and follow the leading of your Holy Spirit, in Jesus' name.